0: Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org.
1: Well, here we go. We're going to start our podcast. And my name's Bo. I'm Peter. And we're here with? Lisa Keller. Yeah, we're pretty excited. Um, This is our second podcast, and it's pretty exciting for us to be doing these things. And this one we're going to talk with Lisa Keller. Tell us what you do so people know what you're all about.
0: Okay. So I'm a licensed professional counselor and I deal with addictions and my specialty is infidelity and sex addiction, porn addiction in the Christian community.
1: So she deals with people like you, Peter.
2: That's right, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and people like me too, you know. And uh we we've, we've definitely had a, it's been a few year relationship with mm-hmm. you now and it's been really fun and God we've learned a ton from you, that's for sure and uh, so we get together um you know every now and then it seems like we're trying to get together more but you know we we get together and me peter and lisa and we all sit down and kind of talk about things and people that we're working with in in the area of sexual immorality and families and things like that and and so i thought man this is going to be a great podcast for us to be here with lisa and kind of do our talk but we can do it kind of through a podcast you know so that'll be cool um, we'll ask you some questions, and we'll also just talk about kind of how we handle different situations, too, um, when it comes to, you know, especially infidelity, you know, because we have a lot of people that are coming to us that that they're in a marriage, though usually it's the wife that, you know, knows or catches that the, the man is viewing pornography, you know, or there's been actually physical infidelity that's gone on. And so we're all trying to work with them and help them understand uh, the Bible and what the Bible says and how to live out that kind of biblical life and things like that. And that's really what we're about is trying to help people grow in their walk with Jesus Christ ultimately mm-hmm. and uh, that God would do a work of restoring them, that's for sure. But before we do that, there was a really interesting event that happened in Tucson and it was it was amazing. Josh Mc mcdowell the famous josh mcdowell apologist came out um for those that don't know he is a really pretty famous apologist i would say in the united states and has been for the past 35 years um he came out with a book called evidence that demands a verdict that was extremely popular Um, still very popular it's come out with like newer editions recently but um yeah he's written many many books on defending the faith. Well, he came out to Push Ridge Christian Academy um, this last week to share, and and the 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 first thing I got was, did you hear what Josh you know said? And I was like, no, you know, no. And um, I, and anyway, Lisa, you're a mom mm-hmm. uh, of of a son that goes to that school and a daughter, and, a daughter. Mm-hmm. and what grades are they in?
0: Uh, sh- my daughter's in 10th uh, grade and my son is a, okay. A so high school, mm-hmm. they're
1: both in high school. Right. And what was their take on listening to Josh Mac- McDowell? Cause he ended up not talking about, um, apologetics, uh, defending the faith. Right. Um, the classical apologist kind of speech that we would think he would give instead. Mm-hmm. What did he talk about?
0: Well, it, it was my understanding that the, the school, um, thought that he was going to talk on apologetics. So. Right off, it was, um. It was a shock. It, it was a shock.
1: Was, and he ended up talking about sex.
0: Right. And pornography, addiction. Uh-huh. And, um. Right and so, Lally. I think the, the, my kids take on it was there was a, a wide group of kids. So it wasn't just the high school kids. It was also, uh, middle school kids, including sixth graders and visitors. Yeah. Sixth grade visitors. Um, so, uh, I, I didn't, I, I didn't go to the, um, the chapel. It was during chapel time, and I didn't go to that, but I did ask my kids when they came out what they thought of it. And my daughter said, uh, well, I think we need to talk about it. <laughs> and my son said he had a good message, but the way he chose to say it, I probably, and you probably wouldn't have said it like that, Mom. Hmm. Hmm. So I, I asked him more questions, and I think the message was a timely message. I know that our culture is really including a Christian school, has really been unaware or ignorant of of what's going on in the Christian community and with our kids. Hmm. Um, and so I think the subject matter needed to be talked about, but I have not heard it, but based on what my son said, some of the words that he chose for those kids, um, I think there could have been different words chosen probably.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I listened to the 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 whole message one entire time, and now I'm on my second time kind of going through it, and this time I'm, I'm taking notes, you know, um, just at what he said, because a lot of what he said seemed really outlandish hmm. to me, very, uh, it seems like something that can be easily falsified, um, and, um, you know, because he touched on biology so much, his whole message was on biology, and me and me and Peter have had a lot of talks about biology and pornography and the research that comes out when it comes to brain biology. And me and you've had those talks right. too, where you know I'm a little like, uh, you know, and I've done my own research, and I see that there's other neuroscientists that totally debunk this scientist over here that's full, you know, that's trying to make a point on rewiring or or how your frontal cortex is being. Um, activated Mm -hmm. or not activated, Mm -hmm. um, through, um, the use of pornography. Um, and to me, there's a lot of room for debate with this kind of way of speaking. And Mm -hmm. I see an overall problem, um, when as a Christian to lead in recovery with the idea of dealing with the Prefrontal cortex or the um, system that's called um, he kept quoting it. It was called let me try to f- look at my notes here and see if I can. It was the limbic system, I think it was mm-hmm. um, of your brain. Um, but when you lead with that type of um, talk where you're this is what you're, you're you know, then um, to me it almost forfeits something in in the 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 speaking meaning you're forfeiting something like the bible says we have hope in christ uh the bible talks about this great hope we have that in christ we're a new creation we're a new identity in god um you know all this beautiful stuff that's just so awesome you know what i mean because you read it and you go man that's i've been stuck in this crud for a long time of dealing with pornography or whatever and man all of a sudden it just hits you that you're a new person And that man, there's ways out, you know, and and um, and it's through this new identity that you have in Jesus Christ. And, you you know, you start seeing the hope that you have in God. And when you lead on biology and say the things that he says, um, which he to quote him, he says, it doesn't matter how smart you are. um, Before you're 25, you're operating on your limbic system. That's what it was, a limbic system, Mm -hmm. raw emotion. So he says until you're 25, you're basically operating on that, meaning meaning it's it's you can't make proper choices. And that's what his he was communicating over and over and over. You can't make proper. It's biology. See, mm-hmm. it's it's too bad you screw up. It's too bad that you watch porn. It's too bad you go. Th- but it makes sense. That's what he's saying. It makes sense because you can't you can't make proper decisions. Hmm. You can't be rational because. You, it, that they're learning science is telling us that's what he's saying is that we're using our limbic system because our prefrontal cortex system of where all this rationale supposedly is coming from is being overridden. so until you're really you know 25 and he said maybe 29 you really you know you know you're really toast great I mean, my response to that is, that's a bummer. I mean, what's your response to that?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, I I grew up in the church, and uh, I, I got involved in pornography when I was 13 years old. So I know if I, if I would have heard that message, you know, uh, when I came back to Christ when I was 16, um, I probably would have just heard, first of all, I would have heard, well, I guess it's really not my fault that I got involved in it, I guess I'm just stupid. Uh, and then the second thing I would probably hear is there, there's really no hope for me. And actually, that's where I was for a long period of my time in my recovery um, from the time where I was 16 to 22, where I was consistently battling the sin and I wasn't seeing any victory. And I think my greatest fear was this idea that I I did think and I knew that my mind had been kind of altered, meaning that no matter how much I tried to resist the sin, my desire was still for it, like I still wanted it like really badly. I still craved it. Uh, No matter the fact that I knew I wanted to walk with God, I knew I wanted to walk with Jesus. And I could even see like the way that I viewed women, the way that I uh, dehumanized them in my mind and and things like that. And I was very scared that this is just how I'm going to be. This is how my mind is. I've I've broken it. There's no hope for me. Uh, And so when I turned 22 and and I started uh, taking the Setting Captives Free course and hanging out with you, uh, and I started hearing the hope that's in the Bible, um, the hope in Romans 12, where he says, "Renew your mind." Uh, you know, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, when I heard about the new man in Colossians 3, uh, that that your mind could be renewed, that your 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 whole way of thinking, your desires could be changed by God, that was a, a new concept for me. I never really heard that before, uh, and it gave me, it revitalized me. It gave me an incredible amount of hope that. Uh, my mind 's not broken in the sense that it can 't be fixed. You know that Jesus Christ truly can fix your mind. He truly can fix your emotions and your uh, the way you perceive and think about things and I mean uh, if i wouldn 't have had that hope, I definitely wouldn 't be where i 'm at today, and I certainly wouldn 't be married uh, because i didn 't think that I had the ability to love anymore so um, listening to all those things um, from from that perspective. I think that would have just kind of reinforced in my mind at that age that uh, what I had already come to 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 think that I was just kind of broken this is kind of the way i I was, uh, and I needed to learn to accept that
1: hm yeah i mean what do you when you i mean because you more deal in a real clinical sense with a lot of these issues mm-hmm. you know um you know what do you what do you hear or what do you think when you hear kind of that kind of idea where there's not an ability to make at one point he said consistent like you can't make a consistent good decision and then he says it's no matter how smart you are mm-hmm. he said i think his exact quote was you can have two phd's you know and still not be able to make proper decisions mm-hmm. you know um, you know i mean what's your what's your take on a lot of that kind of this neuroscience stuff
0: well, so my thought is about that. I'm wondering if he didn't finish. Like, when I heard about his talk, I heard that he just talked about all the bad stuff that's going on and where they're all going downhill, and it, it didn't seem that he really planned his time well. Yeah,
1: maybe. And so didn't, he didn't, didn't come around
0: it. till redemption which I'm hoping that would be true.
1: Yeah, I'm and, sure in a conference he probably would, right?
0: Right, I would hope that would be true, and so it left the kids kind of feeling like there is no hope. So can't speak for him, but I can say that I do come from that clinical, but I also know who God says he is, and I, I don't believe they're separate. I think he did create our brains, and I know that our, our decision-making ability does change as we get older, and there is parts of our brain that we, we are more impulsive when we're younger, But those of us that are Christians and have accepted Christ and um, have turned our lives over and surrendered to him, he can do all things. And so um, I think for the young kids who are struggling, I do believe that clinically, I, I know there's lots of arguments against it, but I also know that back in, you know, 40 years ago, there was lots of arguments against alcoholism and and the addictive nature of that. And so I think because this is still so new, people are wanting to fight against that this actually could be similar to that in in causing, like, um, the neuronal connections to the pleasure receptors in the brain. And so um, just like Peter was talking about, that draw to it, even though he didn't want to do it, it was still that draw to do it. But that's not just for the young. We know that's for the old.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, certainly.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so my hope was that he was going to talk about, yes, this is true that, that your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed and that you're making more impulsive decisions. However, with Christ, you can overcome this. He just didn't get yeah, to that.
1: Yeah, it's almost like is, is Philippians. You know, I asked you guys, is Philippians 4.13 relevant to, you know, a teenager who's been watching porn? since they're six years old I mean should you go to a teenager and say you know what Philippians 4.13 is not for you. you you can't do all things through Christ who strengthens you right so is the Bible true right true? it's like is that what you say to them I mean, I mean does biology trump you know the work of God In us, you know, because we know that the we know that and this is why I think it's wrong to kind of lead with this type of argument, like in a speech or talk or anything like that, is because we know that we're fallen from a biblical worldview. Right. A biblical paradigm. We know we're fallen creatures, the brain, the prefrontal cortex, the limbic system. All these are fallen. They all are subject to the laws of thermodynamics, the second law of thermodynamics, which they all are going down. They're all dying. They're all failing. That's not God's creation. God didn't create death. That's right. part of the fall. So it's like, you know, we know that we're fallen creatures, you know, that we're a mess, that we're already pre, in a sense, um, if you want to say predetermined to sin, we could use that term, right? Wouldn't you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's that's what the Bible says. In Psalm 51, David says, I was brought forth in iniquity. Um, so... Uh, and even Romans 5, Paul definitely says that, that we from Adam inherited kind of that sin nature, that rebellious nature against God. Uh, and anyone who's had a kid or hung around a kid knows that, you know, you don't need to teach a kid how to sin. That does, yeah. This just kind of so, comes. Natural. So it
1: seems like you can you could you could almost use that or. Argument of okay. Well, yeah, okay, even the Bible says we're fallen, you know Well now now we're getting this word that biology trumps, you know Kind of the power of God that maybe there's it really takes away of your human responsibility to do anything I mean is it really is it really your fault? for for making irrational decisions when your biology says you can't make rational decisions does that makes sense. That's that's, right. what, that's what Josh McDowell is coming off as. I mean, when I listen to it, that's what he's saying to me is make rational decisions. But by the way, you can't make rational decisions.
0: Hmm. Well, I don't like I said, I haven't heard that the his um, teaching yet. But I'm just wondering that, you know, I don't believe that biology trumps the Bible. I think that God created us with our biology. Mm-hmm. And so there is that creation. When you're a baby, you drink milk. And when you're an adult, you drink, you eat steak. So you're, you're growing, but it doesn't mean that that it, that you can't do all things through Christ who strengthens you.
1: Okay, so, yeah, so it doesn't trump. No, fli- but like it, it's, still, it, it's not
0: or either or, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I think they go together. Mm-hmm. I think he created our brain, and I think part of the fall is, when we sin, it could create those neuronal connections. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that makes sense.
1: But. No, I think I agree with that.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I, I definitely agree with that. I, I think that's one of the problems that we have with our culture where uh, I think from a secular perspective, it, is, it, it always is either or. It's either we're creatures of pure spirit mm-hmm. and biology has no say, or we're creatures, we're materialists and <laughs> spirituality has no say. Uh, when the Bible is very clear that we're both, you know, when God created man, he breathed into him and made him a living soul. So clearly the, the spirit is a natural part of the physical. That's that's how we created. That's how God intended it. Um, so definitely as a, as a kid, it's like, yeah, I can't, you know, I can't go to a kid and say, you know, Philippians 413, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you can be as strong as you're going to be when you're 18 right now. Or you could be as smart as you're going to be, you know, when you're 35 right now. You know, obviously there has to be a learning and growing process. And we don't, as Christians, we don't shove that to the side. Um, but what we what we do say is that, um, like I said, the spirit and the physical are interconnected. They have to be taken as a whole. Um, so even if my biology is telling me that, hey, porn looks good, that girl looks hot, um, through Christ, through Christ in me, I can actually change uh, renew my mind and 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 to see things differently over time uh not instantly but over time
1: yeah he he, yeah, he one of his quotes was that neurological pathways he's talking about neurological pathways and he says that they're rewired when viewing pornography so that you hear a song or a smell you know you you go to pornography you know and and that's kind of you know cuz it's rewired that way
2: do you think he's talking about like you know like a uh, pavlov's dog kind of thing well it, it seems about?
1: like he you know, and but piggybacking on that whole this is the idea of rewiring he says the rewiring is the brain is now this is a quote the brain is completely changed structurally when viewing even one second of pornography so this the brain is rewired so when he's talking about neurological pathways being altered He's, you know, usually we're thinking of someone who who is viewing pornography like me and you have, you know, where we viewed it over and over and over and over and over, you know. And then over time, there's been a a neurological pathway change. Right. But his, I thought what was really pretty intense of a quote was that he kept saying it's even under one second. He said it was like point seven or something like that, you know, seconds that actually changed completely changed the structure of the frontal cortex. And he said, quote, as much as your brain, it's like your brain, it's, it's worse, he said, than when you're, if your brain, or as much, I should say, as your brain was in a car accident.
0: Yeah, so you'd have to, what, what scientific data does he have to back that up? But, you know, as I'm thinking about this as you're speaking, I don't know about the one second, but I, I do know that I have been exposed to um, just uh, pictures, and and I know that they have, and and I, this is what I speak to wives about: to not go look at the pornography that their husbands have looked at, because it does take up space in your brain. And so the mm-hmm. picture, the very first picture that I looked at, I still see that picture in my brain.
1: Yeah, certainly. No, I and I I totally know that.
0: So, yeah. you know, again, I, I maybe I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt because I would like to, because yeah. of of who I think he is and so that is my hope that that is where he's going I I know that you know um he he's done a lot of research on it but I don't know about I mean I would be careful on making claims like it's the same as a car accident
1: yeah yeah, it was it was just interesting. I just never heard some of these before, so I was kind of curious as what you guys thought of those things. Now, you've heard of this one, I know a lot, and it's uh and then we'll leave this topic completely, but it's it's much harder by far to give up pornography than heroin addiction, cocaine or alcohol. Now, you know, a lot of that's not just from from Josh McDowell, but that's a lot of people say that and and I've heard this, it's much harder. And they use that term, it's much harder which is a measuring term, you know, it's much harder, harder than what, right? It begs that question, harder than what, right? Well, then this, okay, well, how hard, then it begs another question, well, how hard is getting off heroin, Mm -hmm. right? How hard is getting off cocaine? Now, my question to people usually is, well, do you, have you been on heroin? Or my my question to Josh would be, do you, I mean, how much porn have you viewed? I mean, I can tell you how much porn I viewed. Mm-hmm. I can tell you genres, if they are features, gonzo, what kind. Mm-hmm. I can tell you all, all about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if he can. Does he know? How does he measure it? Um, I have done crystal meth, done cocaine, I've done marijuana. That's of course, started when I was probably in the fifth grade. And alcohol started when I was in elementary school. So it's like, I know what it's like to get off those, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you've heard this before, Lisa. Sure. This, these kind of statements. Sure. Do the people that make these statements, do do they know? Like, empirical? Like, like experiential? Does that make sense?
0: I doubt that. I doubt that he's used heroin. I've, you know, I doubt that that's something that he's done. I think he probably is going from... Research,
1: Like when you go to your research conferences, Mm -hmm. you know, do they do they say, hey, you know, I'm a neuroscientist, but I've also done a lot of heroin, man. No. And it is rough (laughs) to get off that stuff.
0: (laughs) 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 No, but, you know, just my thought about that is like, you know, how do you compare that harder? Because I could say sugar is harder than any of those, you know, because people just cannot get off sugar. However, (laughs) what I'm thinking, what I'm thinking about is is. He, you know maybe it's shock value that he's trying to kind of say how you know to really hit home how hard it is to get off pornography yeah. and the other thing is you know when you decide to get off alcohol and you decide to get off heroin it's nothing it's you, you don't ever have a drink again you ne- you decide you're never going to do heroin again and so with pornography um it's a sexual act most of the time because the the individual is engaging you know in Self-gratification at the same time. And so now it becomes like you're not giving up sex. You're just learning to have it in a godly way. So it becomes similar to food and learning how hard that is to do it healthy. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that is what he's talking about. Again, this is just all guessing what he might be thinking but my thought is, you know, we, we do hear stuff in, in the conferences that I go to and the continued training about how difficult it is. But I, I would never say that it's necessarily harder because how do you measure that? Um, but we could say that it's very similar to, um, like, heroin, heroin use because of the fact of it goes to the same pleasure receptors that heroin would go to.
2: Yeah. And, I, and I really like what you said, Lisa, um, that we want to it's not that we're saying, you know, uh, the idea of Colossians two, where where Paul's getting on that uh, the church of Coloss for just telling people, hey, don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. You know, and that's it. That's all the advice they're giving people. Just don't touch the world. Uh, and he later on, he says that's that's of no value in fighting the flesh. But what we're trying to do is we're actually trying to s- help people see sex in the proper context. You know, uh, this first Timothy four, verse four, he says, for every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is receive, uh, received at thanksgiving, for it is sanctified or set apart, made holy by the word of God in prayer. So, the picture that Paul's giving us is that uh, the things that God has created to be enjoyed, we are to enjoy them, uh, not to resist them or, or paint them as evil. And so, I, I do understand uh, in my mind why he would say that. Um, I, I do understand that he's, he's trying to get these kids early. Uh, and and hopefully keep them from going into pornography because uh, I understand that you know, uh, being where he is, that uh, he sees the rising statistics, he sees the problems, and 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 for sure. sure, he's he's trying to do that. Yeah, I understand we that. We all do. From yeah, I mean yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. But yeah. from my perspective, it's like, well, what is really our goal though? Uh, is it to kill pornography or to glorify God? You know, if if my goal was to to kill pornography and stop it from being a problem, then I would agree with this perspective, but here's the problem that that happens, and that had a huge effect on my life, growing up, listening to that message over and over again uh, as a young man. Uh, What I got from that message was, first of all, the the first thing that I heard is, God doesn't like sex, and um, it's not beautiful, it's not to be enjoyed, It, it cannot be set apart, uh, and even when you get married, you kind of gotta uh, you kind of gotta deal with the dirty you but you go know. old 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 school <laughs> yeah you gotta you gotta sex. you gotta do it but it, it's never gonna be beautiful it's never gonna be uh passionate holy, or something passionate uh you know anything like that i, I, I saw that all as being bad or taboo, and the second thing it does is is it makes you a legalist uh you tend to look down your nose on people who don't act that way. So, frankly, uh, I understand what Paul's getting at in Colossians 2. So I understand Josh McDowell and why he said what he did, but I also understand from the Bible that that way of doing it doesn't necessarily work uh, because what you've essentially done is you've traded one sin for another. So someone who's morally strong enough to resist pornography uh, because of that, because of those fear tactics, inevitably he's going to be a legalist. He's going to look down his nose on people who don't. Uh, and the person who's not morally strong enough to resist is always going to feel like they're scum, they're horrible, um, they, they, they've given in, there's no hope. So, I mean, no matter how you slice the pie, you, you've kind of damaged yeah. the people that hear that message. And, and I think that what we want to do, what our intent is, is to show people glorification of God through purity uh, instead of abstinence through self-will. Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely. Good, well said. Um You know, we're going to give him or I give him, you know, I think what you said, Lisa, is so good. The benefit of the doubt, you know, we have to trust that, you know, he did have a conference out here. He was going to be speaking and doing probably a a couple day thing, you know, maybe presenting various amounts of things, you know. And he had a whopping 45 minutes, 50 minutes or something to do uh, a talk at the uh, Christian Academy. And he just kind of started thinking man i'm gonna i'm gonna tr- you know try my best and and he just kind of hit the wall you know they you know they they kind of said okay that's enough time and that's it and it was like you know mm-hmm. you know because you you hope that you know obviously in further discussions that he would have or s- speaking that he would be able to elaborate on this a little bit and and then bring it to a close Right, and
0: I think that choosing the words would have been something important because when you go to the Bible and you use the words that are in the Bible, you can never go wrong. So Mm -hmm. I think he chose to use words that... Perhaps were not appropriate for all age groups, and maybe any of the age groups. That's a
1: good point. Like instead of just using members or things mm-hmm. like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like your members. Mm-hmm. Like that's something in the Bible, right? Kind of. You know. and,
0: and using the words exactly what he, what what the Bible talks about in terms of fleeing from lust, and you can use those words without having to say um, all of the graphic words that he used. And so I think that's why people shy away from it, because they're they're fearing that if you give your kids this information out of curiosity, they might go look that stuff up.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, most of us, let's face it. I mean, nowadays for curiosity, kill the cat. (laughs) That's (laughs) that's that's, most of us that that even have had sexual um, addictions to pornography um, or a pull towards lustful behavior. You know, a lot of it is, is there's a lot of curiosity in it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, where you're just kind of, wow, you're young and you're like, you want to know and, you know, and right. it's, it's there. And,
0: can... and God created us with that natural desire. Yeah. So, it, you know, there is something in us that is supposed to have that desire. It's just where, you know, Satan has used technology, especially to, to get us off God's plan. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm I sad about it, actually, that it had to come down like that, because I think it's a message that needs to be out
1: there. Yeah. So I am
0: grateful for you guys.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about um, working with couples when there is infidelity, um, and that infidelity is either you know, uh, physical infidelity or it is emotional infidelity or I don't know what you would call it when it's just when I I want to say just pornography, but it is a pornography addiction. Do you call that emotional infidelity or what? How do you kind of define that?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So um, I I don't call it emotional infidelity. I still call it an infidelity because of what the Bible talks about if you lust in your heart. Mm -hmm. And so I I don't want to minimize it in terms of for either of them. Because if we minimize it, I think that um, it just—it's traumatizing for the wife, and also it—I it, um, don't think the husband sees it as a big, big of a deal as it really is.
1: Yeah. So, and that's why the distinction. Even though I would say that the distinctions are made biblically, like for instance in the right. Torah. You know, if you committed a physical adultery, you'd be put to death. Obviously, if you lust after someone in your mind, you're not being struck down. Right.
0: But there's also different than just lust in your mind versus pulling up pictures and
1: self-gratifying and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's absolutely true. We see in Ezekiel that they did that, too. Hmm. You know, Um, very interesting. So, um, yeah, in Ezekiel, you have these these kind of moments where you get these visions of these of Israel looking at these pictures, these portraits on the wall of of their it's actually their enemies, but they're they're in their their like warrior garb, you know, looking like Thor. You know what I mean? And we've all seen Thor and the Avengers and things like that. And Thor's pretty pretty you know, built, you know, pretty and anyway, but it it describes Israel as looking upon them lusting after them just over and over seeing the pictures of them and just in a sense frothing mm-hmm. to have sexual encounters with them
0: right and so imagine um the husband looking at someone that's actually completely nude and they're having relations in the videos and he's imagining himself having relations with this other person mm-hmm. and over and over and over and over and so what would happen for the wife is She would feel completely inadequate, one, because maybe she's not doing all the things that they are on the video, Two, She doesn't look like those women on the video, three. um, You know, she doesn't um, maybe want to have sex as often or whatever it is, but imagining him with somebody else. So for, for women, for a lot of the women, I won't speak for all women, for a lot of women it feels... Nearly, and I want to say nearly as bad because I would say for most of the women that come in, an actual physical affair where they're actually having intercourse with another woman would be different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, how do you, how do you, I mean, what are, what are, what's the damage that you see, you know, when it comes to infidelity in a marriage?
0: Well, I mean, I guess obvious damage. There's the trust, but, um, I'm trying to think what what damage, other than trust, that, you know, I think, you know, if you think about it biblically, and Peter, you probably could give the scripture verses that would, or you could also, bow, um that would go along with it, but it's just that bond that they um, have with their wife that has been um, severed, and he's also, he's bonded with somebody else. Mm-hmm. So it, there's actual, and I know you don't like the biology stuff, but there's actually something biological that says when you are with somebody you and you orgasm, there is a, a chemical that is actually co- excreted from your brain that is a bonding chemical. Hmm. So it helps you bond with that person, whether it's your wife or somebody else or pictures of pornography. Hmm. And so it's, it, it's another bond that's created. And so there's damage in that, and he's brought, he's brought this stuff into the bedroom now. And so what happens is not only is there that trust, but also their ability to connect intimately, not just sexually, but intimately in lots of ways has been changed. I mean, if you don't have trust, how can you emotionally trust someone, much less physically trust them? And so um, everything comes into question. Um, their their relations, their sexual relations has, has changed because now she, she has all this in her mind, and that's brought into the bed, and now she, she's questioning everything they do. Is this stuff that he's watched? Is this stuff that he's done? Um, she's feeling uh, uh, awkward about her body or feeling... Um, embarrassed about her body you find,
1: so, you, is that common where a lot of girl a lot of the now and and just for our listeners too mm-hmm. i mean we could flip this it could be vice versa sure, right absolutely. now we're just painting it in more of a traditional sense of, right. of the man being the one who's viewing but it, we so we i don't want anybody out there going these guys just don't understand a lot of girls too are doing it you know we understand we've written on it right. it's there they can look at that um but do a lot of girls today are in the younger couples that you work with? Do a lot of girls s- still look at it like something's wrong with me?
0: Um, you know, the, they can, what I find is that they can try to compartmentalize it and say that that's not true and that this is, th- that's his issue and stuff. But for the most part, it still affects them in that way, that they are comparing themselves to these other women. Because if I was good enough, and we know this is not about the girls, mm-hmm. if I was good enough, he wouldn't be looking at these pictures if i looked good enough why would he need that if i had good enough sex with him or if i whatever it makes it about where they still feel inadequate
1: yeah yeah and, and what do you see i mean peter cuz you're working with a lot of men on a on a weekly basis i mean what do you see
2: yeah i, I actually have i can't remember the name of that woman the the video i sent you Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought she had a a couple interesting points that she said, like, actually today, even if it's pornography or or any other type of infidelity, she says it's actually worse than it was back in, like, the 50s or the 60s when, when, uh, you know, a wife would find out that their husband is cheating. Because back in the 50s or 60s, it's like, how would she find out that he's cheating? You know, she would smell perfume on him or, you know, she would see See lipstick lipstick. on his collar or something like that. And then her imagination would do the rest. But nowadays, it's like if your wife finds out, you know, she you know, tabs up or something like that, she could see exactly what what sexual thing you view. Yeah, through the text, through, through the, text. the browsers. She could see exactly. And so now she doesn't have to use her imagination. Now she's definitely going to view it in that way. And uh, obviously I, I work far more with the men than I do with the, the women, the wives uh, who who are struggling with the, the fallout of this. But, uh, I know that the men, from their perspective, they definitely don't see it as you know. Well, you know, obviously, I, I did this because my wife is terrible and she's ugly, and you know, that, that, that's that's rarely the motivation that I hear. Um, but I could certainly see why a woman would think that. I mean, how, how could you not? You know, like I mean, how could you possibly not think that if you're if you're with your husband and then you you see the kind of women that he's looking at. And they don't look like you, mm-hmm. and they're not doing the stuff that you do with him. Uh, I mean, how could you possibly not take that personally? Yeah. You know.
1: So when, so when you have situations where, I mean, there's so much hurt, mm-hmm. there's so much confusion, despair, grief, um, and there's so much really probably a lot of selfishness too on both sides. You know, everybody's looking at themselves, their own hurts, their own yuck. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know even even the attitude of i 'm not good enough um uh, you know a, a girl saying i 'm not good enough she 's just concentrated on her, you know her focus is on her and mm-hmm. things like that. How do you start working with someone like you know those kind of couples how do you i mean in your in your practice what do you sure.
0: do well um what i what I usually do is it 's helpful if both of the couples would get help. Um, because if, if the wife doesn't deal with the trauma, then it, um,
1: makes it difficult because that just keeps coming around and around and around. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, on that issue of trauma, yeah. mm-hmm. like I'm working with someone that, that it, it's come to a place where y- y- you really, you really sense there needs to be a separation, mm-hmm. you know, because they can't within the home, um, pa- get past certain, um, certain things like forgiveness, um or like hurt and pain. Yeah. And, and because of that, they almost need that just away time, you know, but yet there's still so much fear that if there's a separation, that there's going to be further infidelity. Does that make sense? Right? Yeah. So it's almost like it's a catch 22, mm-hmm. you know,
0: mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you if the husband, if I have a husband that comes in and he's truly repentant and he's humble, that makes all the difference. And I'm not talking where she's raging on him or hitting him all the time. I'm not talking like that. (laughs) I'm talking where he truly is going to be able to not say, you know, I'm done. I'm good. I'm seeing Peter and I'm I'm good. You know, what's wrong with you to his wife? Hmm. You know, he really needs to be patient in terms of how long has this taken him to get here? You know, from the time that he used porn. And so she's just discovering it. She needs time to work through that. And so it takes a lot of patience and humility. And, you know, when he can um, come to her that way, and it's kind of what we would say is like making amends for that and um, holding basically her pain and saying I understand that this hurts, I understand, and she can work on that as well. Then I find that we see better results. Now, if if it comes to a point where I see where there needs to be a separation, a lot of times when the husband, um, like he just say, why aren't we having sex again? You know, I'm not looking at porn anymore. Why? Where? You know, why isn't things better?
1: Right. Or I'm struggling a lot. You know, and, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 Mm -hmm. says your body's not yours, it's mine. And and this is is all to um, prevent the adversary from coming against us. So, you know, so we have to have sex, you know, because that's what prevents me from falling away. Mm. You know, Um, that's just one scenario I paint, you know, the picture of. But, you know, it becomes difficult to separate, right, at that point? I mean, even though it seems like there needs to be, you know, in some of these relationships. Well,
0: and I don't encourage men to be saying your body's not your own after he's been looking at (laughs)
1: porn.
0: Yet it's so common, right? Right. It really is. It really is. And so part of that is that's where the humility comes and, you know, his understanding that that's going to take some time for her to be trusting again. Because, you know, sex is very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And... And how can you be vulnerable with somebody you don't trust? And so, um, but it, if it goes over time and she's been doing work and he's been doing work and he's humble and there's still things that are going on where there's lack of trust or there's anger or there's raging, um, or the husband is like, nope, you need to be having sex with me and, you know, that's what the Bible says and it should be, you should be available when I want you to and, and if you don't do this, I am going to look at porn and if you don't do this, I'm, I am going to go to somebody else well, then perhaps it is time for um, her to set some boundaries. And so I, I go for separation as the last. Well, divorce would be the very last. But, and um, so I would go for separation as the last last measure and really them prayerfully considering, have they both really surrendered their will to God's will? Hmm.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, how about you, Peter? You want to chime in here?
2: Yeah, I, I love what Lisa said about the idea of someone who's truly repentant. And uh, the, the idea of repentance is um, understanding that your, your ultimate offended party is God. And, and what I've seen in the groups is uh, men who, who can only see their wife as the ultimate offended party mm-hmm. never get better. And the reason is because their mm-hmm. wife is flesh and blood. Right. She can't see what he's thinking. She can't. So if, if my wife's the ultimate offended party, then it's just like, oh, well, all I've got to do is stop doing the physical things. Uh, But if I see God as the ultimate offended party, it's like, no, everything is naked and laid bare before him. My thoughts and my heart need to change, too. Um, So it's only when when the guy sees that God is the ultimate offended party, that real, genuine change happens. And it's only when he sees God as the offended party that he could do uh, what David did. Uh, when he was found out by Nathan, and he just says, "I've sinned against the Lord." Whatever consequences happen, happen, mm-hmm. you know. And and usually you can tell right away when any amount of consequences happen to the guy if he's like, "Well, that's not fair. That's unbiblical." You know, how dare you? You know, restrict me from sex and things like that. You can just instantly know you, you're not really sorry that you've sinned against an Almighty, Holy, Powerful God. Mm-hmm. You know, who loves you. Uh, and then uh, one question that I did have for you that I would I would like to hear your answer mm-hmm. for is uh, what w- w- would um would you recommend separation for a man who you can tell uses his wife for self-gratification?
0: So that's an interesting question. But, but before I answer that one, I want to answer when you're talking about, like, to you alone, God, I have sinned. Yeah. So I just would encourage the husbands not to say that yeah. to their wives. <laughs> so it's true. Honestly, if they are only accountable to their wives, they're not going to have a true heart change. They're not going to end up you know getting out of bondage in this so i agree with you on that peter that it has to be really to god but they also have sinned against their wives Mm -hmm. and so they're you know that repentance to her as well but first to god and i think all wives that are christian would want it in that order as well so the other one you you said the question was was
2: Uh, would would you recommend a, a separation for a husband that you can tell he's utilizing his wife he's He's actually using mm-hmm. his wife to sin, that she is actually now the means to his self-gratification or uh, fantasies.
0: Right. And so I actually do ha- have had people it, with that that scenario that you've just explained. And so I don't think, again, I don't go straight to the separation, but I, I really would encourage, you know, I work with a, the male individually to to work on his heart. Now, there has been a case that I have had where that is the case where I believe it's a case. I mean, I don't know his heart. You know, we don't know their heart. But it it appears by the behavior that that is the case. And so, again, you know, trying to um, put other resources in place. So if I'm seeing them, I always refer them here to you, Peter, and to you, Bo, to really get um, multiple people that can give him godly counsel on what's going on. And if that person is still hardened to that, um, that perhaps might need to happen where um, the wife starts setting stricter boundaries. So, you know, it depends case by case. I wouldn't put that as a blanket. Yes, I would. Uh, Case by case, depending on um, the boundaries that she sets, so you can set some certain boundaries, but um sometimes that is necessary and so what what i do if if that is necessary and he's just treating her like an object and um we would call it a a therapeutic separation and we would have measurable goals on how that would be so i don't know if that answered your question
2: yeah yeah no i mean i'm sure you see it um just as much as i do but you know i've had men who've Said and and they say it in such a way where it's like they don't see anything wrong with it mm-hmm. where they'll be like yeah you know my, my wife you know she was crying last night but you know I was very horny and you know so she wouldn't let me have <laughs> sex with her but you know she did you know masturbate me or something like that you know I've I've had men say stuff like that to me or email me stuff like that mm-hmm. um or or you know like they're on a business trip and they're just like you know this is the time they usually view porn so my wife you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Gets me off, you know, in different ways, and, and you know, like. What's so your response? Uh, so usually, when 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 someone gives me that response, uh, the first thing that I lead them back to is First Corinthians 16, where he says, "Let all things be done in love." And I says, "Is that is that loving? You know, that your wife is so injured and hurt by your actions that she's weeping, and yet you're still saying, you know, you mm-hmm. owe me this, you know, when when you're the reason why she's weeping. You know, is that is that really like? Could you see Jesus? You know, in your position, like encouraging that, you know, giving you the thumbs mm-hmm. up. That's good. Um, but uh, you know, obviously, the reason why they're saying that is because they've had uh, kind of reinforcement inside of their own mind through going to the church and, and things like that. of of First Corinthians seven, of just like you know, sex is a way to resist temptation and, and things like that. And right. they've never, they've never actually thought in their minds that my marital bed uh, is a means for. Self-gratification or uh, lust—they've they've never actually equated right. that. Right. Don't yeah. you think
0: that's really selfish too? Like, it's about you know how selfish that is. It's all about him. It's really not about well, sure, the sure.
1: I mean, First Corinthians 13 to me is always the answer to that. And you're bringing up First Corinthians chapter 16. That um, says let all things be done in love, um, and, but First Corinthians thirteen is always the proof text, right? To anybody, is like, well, are you seeking your own? Love does not mm-hmm. seek its own, so are you seeking your own? And if you're seeking your own, it's wrong. You know, now, uh, me and Peter, we'll get to the uh, our next podcast maybe um, next week, next Thursday. Me and you can just discuss doctrinally First Corinthians chapter six for mm-hmm. our listeners. Seven. First Corinthians seven. Sorry. And we should maybe start in six, though. <laughs> That'll help us to move <laughs> six, yeah, into yeah. seven. And um, so so we get a good foundation. I know I've I've written on it. I've blogged on that that section a lot. So I do have a lot of opinions on it and um, and some scriptural, I think, uh, proofs for why my thoughts are, are right in that section. But we definitely want to go there. But but that keeps coming up, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, we have a question. Um that has come in and people can follow us on twitter um we're not live here but they they can hear the podcast and they know that we have a twitter at running light that's our handle there we're on facebook running light um we're on itunes at running light ministries and soundcloud at running light ministries so if you don't find us on those social media things as running light you can find us probably at running light ministries it's one of the two so give them a shot but Um, This is from a uh, I would say a 20 year old girl woman um, that says, I've gotten the feeling that a lot of people don't see self gratification as a bad thing, that it's natural and normal. How would you respond to that for a married person and for a single uh, person who uh, doesn't have a sexual partner? Mm -hmm. So how would you go about that?
0: Well, I would say that uh, I would probably agree with that statement in terms of it being culturally right now accurate. Um, Maybe not so much in the Christian community, maybe so in the younger generation. Maybe you guys can speak on that. But I would say for sure culturally um, that is what's taught, that it's healthy and normal to self-gratify. And even in, I read a Christian magazine, Christian um, that said if, you're, if your husband and you are away, you could masturbate while you're away, and that would be okay. And so um, just my thought on that is, again, if you go back to the verses that you were speaking about, is that in love, or what is this about? Is this selfish? And so when we, um, when we look at that behavior, it's all about me. If I'm self-gratifying, that's all about me. That's not about the intimacy that God has designed within marriage. And the other thing that you guys might not talk about, but I like to talk about, is that, you know, is it okay for someone else to gratify me that's not in my marriage? So if that's not okay, which we probably would say, why is it okay for me to do it instead of my husband? Hmm. So it, it does not feel intimate at all. It feels so disconnected from that and so selfish so in, you know, in, in, in what I know about God, I would say, how could that be, who God is? God is about love and selflessness, and so that doesn't fit, even though it's not exactly addressed.
1: Yeah, and, if, and there's, something, there's something interesting that I thought of, and that is, you know, a lot of women, I think, haven't, um, you know, for many reasons, culturally been taught that masturbation is okay, meaning uh, to, for a woman. You know, I think for a man, I know me, uh, um, me and Lisa are around the same age and Peter, you're a lot younger. But um, for my culture as a man growing up in Southern California, it was the idea that it was it was a normal thing for males. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we got that um, from not only like health class in schools mm-hmm. um, where it never really talked so much i don't think they were so much gender specific in those classes i can't quite remember meaning if they said oh well females can't masturbate but males can't masturbate i don't think they were gender specific but i i think for some reason in my brain i just kind of took it maybe it's from the entertainment part of culture that you know lusting was okay and um and that as a male that is what we do and and obviously from a Biblical perspective. When I think of the word, I think that that you know, men have. It's part of the fall that men obviously have a power um, over um, women. They can physically fight them, and through the fall, we have a, a, a incredible, horrible uh, way of going about showing quote our love. And it's through an oppressive in an oppressive manner where it's so we become almost justifiable to lust, you know, because we 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 have these cultural things going on. And maybe these just uh, inherited sinful behaviors and we use our physicality to dominate, if you will. And so we become it's common for us to self gratify. It becomes common. It's like a way for us to. To dominate and be in control. And, and it's okay. It's like part of the lust chain, you know, of, you know, that, does that make some sense? Where I don't know if a woman kind of sees that as she's growing up just in her society. If she sees like, oh, it's good for me to lust after men. It's good. I think it's happening more today. You know, I think they're but,
0: being told that they need to do this in order to like take back power
1: right, so it becomes it, it becomes another it, that's that that kind of proves my idea of the power thing you mm-hmm. know where males it 's been that power thing, mm-hmm. and now it's now it 's like women go hey if i 'm going to not be inferior. To Mm -hmm. the men that are, I'm in competition, the gene pool that I'm fighting for, you know, it's like I want to one day land a good guy, Mm -hmm. you know, but I'm in competition with other women and with porn. Mm -hmm. I better get on the horn and kind of, you know, become my own, in a sense, have my own power, you know, type of stuff. And
0: I don't need any guy. I can do this myself.
1: Yeah. Does that make some sense? Like, like, you, you know, like. You know, where a lot of a lot of men, I, I guess my point to you is that I don't think a lot of men look at touching themselves as an awkward thing. You know, as a weird thing. It doesn't feel weird. You know what I mean? Mentally, it doesn't feel weird. And physically, it doesn't feel weird. But certainly when I talk to my wife about, because me and my wife are very open and talk about mm-hmm. all these issues, you know, for her, it's very weird. You know, right. for her, it's really strange, mm-hmm. you know. She goes, yeah, I'm, I, w- I wouldn't touch myself. You know, you're, you're my husband, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. You touch mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. you know, which that that's kind of goes to what you're saying.
0: Right, right. Well, and I, I think, though, don't you think that – Porn has influenced that, like not feeling, and also the culture telling you you should do these things, and it's natural and it's healthy, and you need you need to get that out, and all of these messages have influenced that. I mean, I guess it's hard to say because you've yeah. always been influenced by that.
1: Yeah, and it, yeah, absolutely, but it's not just it's not just to me it's not just like when we say pornography, I think it's kind of a misunderstanding because to our listeners they're thinking, you know, hardcore pornography or you know and. And my answer to that is that pornography is, you know, if it's really any material that's first purpose is for to cause it arousal, then we have a lot of pornography in the culture. Right. And so when I was younger, growing up, I was I saw magazines that had girls with bathing suits on. You know, you're right. constantly seeing movies with people with short things on. It, it constantly becomes like, in a sense, first primary reason is to cause excitement. Right. You know, an arousal, and that's what the uh, capitalistic world we live in has pounced on Mm -hmm. no doubt and you know we all like the money but we all don't like maybe we all kind of are you know do we really want to deal with this issue Mm -hmm. because it's big you Mm -hmm. know what i mean it's a big issue and it's gonna rock all our worlds if we got rid of pornography does that make sense right yeah but i certainly agree that that you know i was definitely influenced by those those images you know, when I was younger, I, I right. moved out.
0: Well, and I think kids in the younger generation, they are they have Victoria's Secret magazines, which are pornography, softcore porn. And so, but even so, don't you think that there's something in, in people, if they had not been exposed to hardcore pornography, that we have a sense that this is not right? Mm-hmm. Now, now, I know you're saying Sylvia does already.
1: Yeah. You know, I... You know, I've heard it, I've, I've, I've read other people that, have, that make some good points, and these are people that don't know God. These are people who are writing from more of a secular humanist perspective of the issues of sexuality. That porno, what makes pornography wrong and masturbating to it wrong is actually your belief system upon looking at pornography. And that makes sense to me. Hmm. Meaning, meaning, pornography in itself is just sex. I mean, if you look at hardcore pornography, it's just two people having sex. Sure, there's debased pornography, but when you just look at the, the the average normal porn out there, it's all it is is sex. That's it. It's nothing else. Just man, woman, having sex. And so, what makes it an offense is my belief that I bring to the the subject, you know, and look at it, you know, so it's like, for instance, when I was younger and when I was, you know, uh, didn't know Christ, I looked at it. And sure, I be- I believe the Bible certainly now that says that we have a you know, that we certainly have a conscience that's been given to us by God and that in order to neglect God's truth, we have to uh, we have to suppress that truth in unrighteousness. Right. But because I was an unregenerate person, it doesn't mean I didn't have a conscience. I still had a conscience that under there was something in me, uh, Lisa, Mm -hmm. that is like saying, I don't know. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and that's that Romans chapter one kind of issue, you know, where. But then because I'm unregenerate, you know, I suppress the truth Mm -hmm. and unrighteousness Mm -hmm. and I just go with what feels good. right? Right. If Christ is not risen, then there's no purpose to any of this. Right. Uh, for eat and drink, and for tomorrow we die, So, there's, so pornography becomes absolutely fine. Well, and think point. about
0: it for the, for the Christian that looks at it the first time. He feels really bad and guilty, mm-hmm. maybe masturbates to it. And the second time he feels bad and guilty, and the third time, and maybe the fifth time, by the 50th time, you, you either have to quit feeling guilty or kind of harden to that. So that's the suppression of that. So if we are given that, which I do believe the Bible has given that to all of us, then, then um, we have to suppress that, or we have been placed in an environment that suppresses that.
1: Yeah, certainly, and obviously most environments are not Christian environments per se, right. you know, that kind of thing. But anyway, back to the, the question of, you know, um, we kind of tailed off a little bit from, <laughs> you know, my, my thought was that a lot of women, and this is from uh, a lady You know, where a lot of women now kind of wonder, you know, gosh, you know, is masturbation okay? Now, biblically speaking, you know, first of all, the big red flag to me comes in, uh, first of all, on both occasions, whether you're married or not married, is the issue of lust. Mm -hmm. You know, the Bible tells us repeatedly, I always like to say, go through the first Peter road, you know, of lust. Because if you turn in your Bibles, um, I'll turn in my Bible um, to first Peter. Like in chapter, um, let's see, chapter 14, it says live as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. So it says that I lived in a former lust um, before I knew Christ. And and so before I knew Christ, I lived in an ignorance and that ignorance showed itself in lust. But then in first Peter, chapter two, and this is why I call it kind of the lustful road of first Peter. But in verse 11, it says, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Mm -hmm. He uses that same term lust there Mm -hmm. to abstain from lust, Mm -hmm. to stay away from it. And then he also says he talks about it in verse two of chapter four where he says that we should no longer live the rest of the time in our bodies for the lust of other people, mm-hmm. but for the will of God, you know. So um, that's, I mean, when I just go through that book alone, I'm just showing one book alone. I'm not even going to any other scriptures, really, just First Peter. I can just take First Peter and just make a case that lust is the way I used to live as an unregenerate person. So it's not to be a part, the lustful life is not supposed to be a part of the new man in Christ. Right, and I,
0: I don't know anyone that could masturbate without lust.
1: Well, that's the problem, right. right? I mean, that's the issue. I don't know, did you ever masturbate without kind of lust in your heart? Yeah, you I mean,
2: I, I've definitely heard that argument from some mm-hmm. people. of mm-hmm. just like, well, what if I, uh, you know, self-gratify or masturbate to, um, you know, nothing? You know, what if I just blank out my head and I just do it? um well i I think there's two major problems with that mentality first of all i don't don't think that's possible i'm not i'm not going to just project myself on everybody but i I will say me personally that is not possible for me uh because what are you doing when you're having an orgasm you're tricking your body into thinking you're having intimacy Mm -hmm. and how could you possibly do that without be thinking without thinking sexual thoughts Uh, i just i just don't really see that as a possibility uh, and then the second problem, I, I think, is right there in the word lust. Uh, I mean, the word lust, it, it's the idea of covetousness or greediness. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's always the, the, the connotation for it. So when we're talking about lust, we're talking about the idea of someone selfishly wanting something for them, for their own use. Mm-hmm. How could you masturbate without being selfish? You're, you're giving yourself an organ. No one else is benefiting from that. Nobody's bending from benefiting from that. You alone are benefiting from that, and, and you're doing it to yourself. And then, not only that, but, I mean, what I really tell someone who struggles with greed, like, hey, man, like, the way that you solve your greed problem is you give into it a little bit, and then it will get better. You know, that, that would be completely ridiculous. You know, it would be like, you know, Proverbs 30 says this, there are four things that never say enough. Uh, and he says, "The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not satisfied with water, and the fire never says enough." And interestingly, fire and lust are always kind of shared in the same conversation yeah, in the Bible. Song of Solomon. That's right, the Song of Solomon. So the idea that you know it's great advice for me to tell someone like, "Hey, you struggle with lust. Why don't you throw a log on that fire and then it'll go out?" You know that that would be completely—that's like the most backwards logic I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. So obviously, if I'm if I'm going kind to of self-gratify, that's yeah. not going to make my problem less, and it's going to make it worse. Uh, and that's why, again, in First Peter, he says you got to abstain from it. He, he doesn't say, like, hey, maybe feed it a little, you know, and starve it out gradually. He says abstain, get away from it completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think and he says flee youthful lust mm-hmm. in, in the book of First Timothy. So run away from it uh, is the message that we get. And once again, I know for me personally, having masturbated and uh, now being a newly married guy, I know that there's no way in heck I could possibly masturbate and then have intimacy with my wife and, and flip a switch and be like, okay, I know that I masturbate and I make orgasms all about me, but all of a sudden I'm going to flip a switch in bed with you and I'm going to make this all about you and glorification of God. There's just absolutely no way that you can do that, that you can just switch on and off like that. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to live what you know. And so if I go into intimacy with my wife and I've been masturbating uh, you know, like that consistently, I'm just going to use her, uh, the same way I'd use my hand. You know, I'm going to you know, carry on that same uh, mental thought process.
1: Yeah. And, and, and I'll say this from a guy who's <clears throat> done a lot of self gratification in his life, you know, probably, but I'm certainly not probably the most cause I've met, I've met with a lot of men over the years and, and, um, I'm shocked on a lot of occasions. I mean, I think I used to think like, Hey, once a week was, was a lot, you know what I mean? And that's not even close. Some people struggle with self gratification up to three, four, or five times a day, mm-hmm. you know. But um, you know, um, let's see. I was just going to say something about self gratification. Um, oh, from a guy who does it, who's done it a lot, <laughs> um, is um, self gratification um, is something for me that. Um, started when i was in college it wasn't even something i started when i was really young it started when i was in college um you know so much older Mm -hmm. you know um so it was way before i i mean i already saw a lot of pornography but self-gratification becomes something that you get good at right and that is the danger right to whether you're married which i've done it married and i've done it to when i'm not married um but I can just speak more within marriage because I got married very young. I've lived most of my life married. I've been married almost 23 years. You know, uh, most of my life has been, you know, a married guy. So, um, but in marriage, you become so good at it that it almost like it doesn't take the place. I don't want to say it takes the place of your spouse because it certainly didn't with me. I enjoyed my time with my spouse. I still enjoyed my time with my spouse and everything like that but it became like a um a way for me to justify um and 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 quickly like to get the quick feeling that i uh, excitement that i had with my spouse just on my own and i guess my point is is that you can get so good at something like that like mm-hmm. self-gratification mm-hmm. where you start having thoughts in your mind about like where like oh it's okay like if you know, me and my wife don't have sex because I I can self-gratify
2: mm-hmm.
1: now. And that's sad. I mean, I see that with a sad kind of way mm-hmm. because it sucks. I mean, I, I, I wish I never, ever thought that, Right. you know, but that's the truth of the matter. You know, it's like that's been a part of my life and and that's what's going on in the brain, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But I would say to, who to this person who's who's questioning this. I would say that is probably the most deadly reason even I mean sure the bible says don't lust and sure this is lust and that is primary of course but just on top of it just it's really secondary to that lust is that is that you become like a, a pro at it and it becomes easy and Don't
0: you think, too, you can circumvent, like, the what it really takes to unite with your wife or vice versa? Like, so say there's an issue with you and your wife, and and now you're not going to have sex tonight, so whatever, I'll go self-gratify. So instead of working that issue out... Or, and that could be for the wife as well. She'll yeah. be like, well, I'll just masturbate.
1: And for me, that never, now that never was part of my world, but that is a part of many people. That is. And it's also,
0: <laughs> yeah. you know, your hand is very different from a woman's body parts mm-hmm. as well. So I found that to be problematic as well. Like like that person could never do as good as you could.
1: That's right. That's right. And it, that's, that's that horrible feeling that, you know, I think that's when, you know, in my own recovery life, you know, that's when things really hit me like, mm-hmm. I got to stop. Like, this is like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? This is just this. I could see the road that we're going down. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And who, anyway, hey, Lisa, thanks for being here for our podcast. Yeah, thanks for having Did me. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was it, fun. It's awesome. Peter, mm-hmm. thanks a lot. Thanks, man. <laughs> that's always good insight. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so Psalm 36.8 says they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.